0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for October 26th, 2018. In this week's episode, as online shopping activity increases for the holidays, we offer a few clues on how to spot fake product reviews. Plus, Apple and Amazon call on Bloomberg to retract their super micro story. A Russian hacker aims to do good, but he's still a hacker, right? and Apple no longer maintains its printer compatibility list. So now what? The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Here
1: we are again. I'm sitting in my home office next to a farm in rural England, and Josh is in a secure location an undisclosed bunker. How's the weather over there, Josh?
2: Well, I can't tell you because that might give some information that might reveal to a degree where exactly. I live. Exactly. So, that's why I asked. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and, I can't, and you can't even tell me what time it is because that would narrow
2: down to 1 of the world's longitudes if I did that. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm not going to reveal. I can neither confirm nor deny anything about where I may currently be. Speaking of confirming and denying, we've been talking about a
1: story in the past couple of weeks. Bloomberg came out with this very long story they called The Big Hack, and they claimed that the Chinese government got into some of these plants where servers are manufactured and inserted some tiny, tiny little chips on the server's motherboards, and that companies like Amazon and Apple had used these servers in their data systems. And we've already discussed how, in particular, Apple's denial of this was much stronger than the way they usually deny things. But th- this story has been crumbling in, in the past week. It, it seems like everyone's calling for Bloomberg to retract the story. It turns out that the main source said that he didn't really say what they claimed he said. Even the photos
2: in the article aren't the photos of the actual chip, are they? No, this is something that... um I guess wasn't exactly very clear, at least to the the novice reader who might come across the story. And I mean, Bloomberg is not really written necessarily for highly technical people. And the people who wrote this article were not highly technical. And so they went to sources to sort of get information on what might happen. And then they sort of used that possibly to kind of, ask questions of their other sources. Um, it's not exactly clear what process they use to, to get the information from their 17 sources. Um, most of them are completely anonymous. Right. So basically, they
1: went to a bunch of security professionals and they said, here's a hypothetical. I'm asking for a friend. And the security professional said, well, if that was the case, here's what would have happened. But there's no justification that that was the case. So the consequences... Didn't happen.
2: Yeah, and what's really unclear is how many of these seventeen sources actually claim to have direct knowledge of there being a, a chip added to supermicro boards. That that's what's really not stated, and, and nor are the the sources. Uh, Identified it in in any way such as like, you know, well, we have X number of Apple sources or people who, you know, engineers who are uh, who work directly with these motherboards at these companies. It's not really clear who their sources are. And but but everybody, I mean, everybody is denying this um, U.S. and U.K. intelligence agencies. Of course, I mean, you'd expect the Chinese government to deny it. Right. But uh, but companies, um, including those that are called out for having these super micro devices, including Apple and Amazon Web Services, uh, CEOs of both companies have called on Bloomberg now to retract this story, saying there's no truth to this. And that's a pretty forceful way for them to react to stories. You know,
1: Apple generally says, well, we don't comment on this and that. It's very rare that they come out with such with such vehemence and particularly Tim Cook himself talking about this story. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And and with the Securities and Exchange Commission, you know, watching very closely what CEOs of big companies say, they have to be very careful. And, uh, And so if there were any kernel of truth to this, then the statements that are being made officially or even unofficially on Twitter and things, these executives have to be extremely careful about how they word things. But nobody's mincing words here. They're absolutely saying we cannot find any evidence of this at all. There's no no truth to the story.
1: And and of course, there was a financial impact because Supermicro's stock went down nearly 50%. It's been slowly recovering a bit, but this is certainly
2: affecting the value of that company. Absolutely. Yeah. They were trading kind of roughly in the neighborhood of about 21 US dollars. And um, last time I checked, they were somewhere around 15. So they took a huge hit at first, um, losing about half of their stock price. And now they've kind of come up a little bit from that. But, you know, it does really make you wonder what was going on here because with with not any clear direct evidence or clear sources for this story and for for this to have completely probably irreparably damaged Supermicro's reputation, it really kind of makes you wonder what Bloomberg's sources were and how accurate of information they may have had. Okay, in other news about routers,
1: you've mentioned a couple of times, particularly when we were talking about this, that there's routers from a brand called MicroTik that had a bunch of security issues with them and that weren't being patched. And I think a couple of weeks ago, you said, by the way, if you have one of these routers, you know, update your firmware. And apparently there's some sort of mysterious gray hat hacker kind of going around
2: like Johnny Appleseed and patching people's routers remotely. Right. Yeah, this is this is kind of a funny story because um, this Russian-speaking gray hat hacker, this guy who basically has good intentions, but he's going about this in a way that's clearly illegal. He's searching the internet, scouring for people with vulnerable Microtik brand routers, and then he's patching them so that... Uh, They can't be abused by the bad hackers. The black hat hackers. The the black hats. Right, exactly. So
1: let's talk about the color scheme here. We've got the white hat hackers, the black hat hackers, and the gray hat hackers. Now, I'm thinking gray must be Gandalf, but Gandalf was kind of good, (laughs) so he'd really be a white hat hacker, wouldn't he? And Sauron would be the black hat hacker.
2: Where does the gray one come in? (laughs) Okay, well... I, I'm not sure that the Lord of the Rings analogy really makes sense when we're talking about hacker color hats, but, uh, okay. So, so the white hat hacker is the, the person who, um, has pure intentions, right? They're, they're the best case scenario, right? And then you've got your black hat hackers, which are basically just the bad guys who are trying to exploit people for fun and profit. And they don't really care about you or anybody you you know other than themselves, and then you've got the gray hat who's somewhere in between they're they're kind of maybe a little more leaning toward the good side usually, but um their methods are questionable and often illegal. And that's kind of the case with this guy. He has this idea, well, you know, there's all these vulnerable routers out there. No one's patching them. You know, nobody even knows that they've got a vulnerable router. All I've got to do is just find those routers and then I can patch them and then they'll be safe.
1: And this is because the, the people who own the routers probably haven't changed the default <laughs> username and password. A, a username and password you can look up on plenty of websites
2: well and and they have serious vulnerabilities that mean that basically anybody who knows that you've got a microtech router can break into your router
1: but how can you know that this guy is doing this honestly and isn't perhaps planting some sort of a backdoor in them i think what we should say is if you have a microtech router update it yourself even if gandalf the gray has come by and Done you know a drive-by update, you might want to update it yourself. By the way, Josh,
2: which which one are you? Oh, I'm I'm a whitehead hacker. Okay, good to know. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't dabble in the in the gray. Okay, good. <laughs> but I, I think this guy sounds like he has good intentions. He interestingly, he's not actually installing the firmware updates. He's just closing the holes to make it so that other people can't exploit them. So Even if this guy has patched your router, so to speak, he's not actually updated the firmware. And so you still need to update the firmware. Okay. Now,
1: as we've said countless times, it's important to change the password on your router because it is a default password. It's usually just password or one, two, three, four, five, six, or it's like Kanye West's iPhone pin, you know, zero, 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 zero. But there was a recent issue with D-Link routers where a vulnerability could be used to retrieve the administrative password and the password was stored in plain text.
2: Oh my goodness. So yeah, there was a series of vulnerabilities that were chained together and uh, this researcher has tried working with D-Link for a long time and they've just not really gotten anywhere. And D-Link finally came back and said, you know, you've mentioned a whole bunch of these different models of routers, but you know, we're not really patching the firmware anymore for most of these, so we'll release patches for a couple of them, but the rest of them we're just not gonna patch. Even though they all have the same vulnerability, they're probably all based on the same code base. But uh, D-Link has decided they're just not going to patch them anymore. And so now you've got a whole bunch of, I mean, D-Link is a very popular brand. Microtik, I don't know anybody personally who uses a Microtik router, but there's lots of people who use D-Link routers. But some of these brands make routers that are sold under other brand names
1: as well. And some of them might also make routers that are sold directly to ISPs by the
2: millions who then distribute them to users with their own name on them. That's a great point. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's the case necessarily with either of these sets of affected routers, either the MicroTik or the D-Link, but um, th- that is definitely a possibility. So you know what? Uh, again, we, we've, we can't stress this enough. If you haven't checked for firmware updates recently on your wireless router, please do. And if you have checked recently, and there hasn't been a firmware update available for you know multiple years, especially, it's probably time to assume that your router manufacturer is no longer releasing security updates and you need to get a new router. So basically, you can have a router for a
1: few years, and if it's not updatable, then you should really get rid of it.
2: Yeah. Routers aren't
1: that expensive anymore. There was a time when they were really expensive. Like, you know, cable boxes in the U.S., you would rent them rather than buy them because they were expensive. But now you can get a router for, I don't know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks?
2: Yeah. At most. Yeah. Depending on what features set you want and things like that. um, Right. Yeah. You can can get them pretty cheaply for, for a relatively new or even brand new one. And since the router is the gateway to your home network
1: and it's really the protection against remote access to your home, you might want to think of
2: updating your router, and by the way, you know if you're kind of if still thinking that they're a little bit too expensive for you, Black Friday's right around the corner. I was just going to say the same
1: thing. <laughs> just a few weeks. there'll be plenty of deals on routers. One last bit of news: Apple has long provided printer driver updates as part of the operating system as part of mac OS and mac OS ten, and they are no longer doing this. They're no longer maintaining their list of drivers. They provided some scanner drivers as well, but I know in my case, I have two scanners. One of them, the driver might have come from Apple and it shows up in the image capture app. And the other one, I definitely got the driver from Fujitsu. It's a scan snap and it doesn't show up in image capture. So I think there were some scanners where Apple just didn't do anything, but now they're just shrugging their shoulders and saying, go check your printer company to get the driver's But do we need printer drivers
2: anymore? Don't new technologies eliminate the need to download specific drivers? Theoretically, yeah. I mean, Apple says that modern printers use driverless technology such as AirPrint or IPP everywhere, which don't require additional drivers on your Mac. And then basically they're saying, but if you need to print and you've got an older device, that may require drivers. So Apple is kind of saying, you don't need drivers anymore. That's sort of what they're implying here. Unless you've got some really old printer and then you have to talk to your manufacturer. Yeah, but what is really old? I have a black and white laser printer in
1: my office. I had bought it in 2013 and I updated it last year because I wanted something that could handle AirPrint. So my partner could print from her iPad, et cetera. It's a Wi-Fi printer. My previous one did not use AirPrint, and that's is what Apple's talking about. And it's only five years old. Yeah, printers do last a long time. I don't see... It doesn't seem right that they're suggesting that you chuck a five-year-old printer.
2: Well, to Apple, anything that doesn't support AirPrint is garbage, right? So, I mean, they, yeah. <laughs> they want your printer to support their technology, so... I get Apple's perspective. I think it was probably just getting too cumbersome for them to maintain this huge compatibility list. And, you know, so it's easier for them to just say, you know what, most printers are just going to work. If it doesn't work, then talk to your manufacturer. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back,
1: we're going to talk about how to spot fake product reviews on Amazon and other websites. As Josh said, Black Friday's coming up soon. So we're going to give you a tool to help you make sure you're buying the right
0: thing. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today and then use the promo code INTEGOPODCAST at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intigo.com today.
1: Okay. A few episodes ago, we talked about these sort of porn email blackmail scams. And you might get an email that says that someone installed malware on your computer and they were filming you as you were looking at porn sites and all that. And they would email you at your email address and they would say that this is one of the passwords that you use for your accounts. And these passwords, there have been all these data breaches that have affected billions of people. And in many cases, these are passwords people don't use anymore. I'm getting two or three of these a day now. And one thing I'm noticing is they're not all mentioning porn, but a lot of them aren't even mentioning a password. And the subject line, instead of saying your password is this, it just is your email address. And then inside the emails, it's saying that your records showed that this email with this, and it's like a 12 or 14 digit number. And I wonder if this isn't, a credit card number, a part of a credit card number, because I've never used 12 or 14 digit
2: passwords, you know, all numbers. You haven't seen any of these, have you? No, not this particular one. I have been seeing, you know, a few people have come to me and said, hey, you know, I someone emailed me my password and I've helped a couple of people with kind of figuring out what to do about that. But I, I haven't seen this in particular where it's just a string of numbers. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, that surprises me. And the numbers don't look familiar, but one of them kind of looked, the first four digits of one kind of reminded me of the first four digits of a credit card I had 10 years ago. Over here, when you renew your credit card, you get a different number. You don't necessarily just get a, a different renewal date. So anyway, if you do get these emails, don't panic. It's bogus. So Josh mentioned before the break, and it's kind of, you know, we're in October and people are already starting to think about Christmas. And Christmas means Black Friday, right after Thanksgiving, people do their Christmas shopping, and it's like the the leaves haven't even fallen off the trees, and we're talking about Christmas already. I'd rather talk about Halloween and pumpkins, but that doesn't sell a lot, does it? So I have an article on the Intego Max security blog called How to Spot Fake Product Reviews. And I explain that sometimes when you look on Amazon and you're looking for a specific product, and you know, when you get the search results, and now Amazon search results are really confusing because you get the type of item you're looking for. Then you get the sponsored results. Then you get other search results that somehow have a keyword in common. But we all tend to look at these things and just quickly latch on to the number of stars they have and how many reviews there are. And if it's a five-star review, we're more likely to look at it. The
2: thing is, for a lot of products, those five-star reviews are fake. Yeah, th- that's absolutely true. And, you know, I'm with you that I tend to only look at things, in fact, sometimes when I'm doing a search for a particular type of product, and maybe if I don't know exactly what brand I'm looking for, I'll even you know put a filter on and say, only show me stuff with three stars or higher. Right. But I don't stop there. And, and you've got some really good points in your article about why it's important to not just assume based on that star rating alone. Right. So I... I- give a couple of examples,
1: and one of them is I was looking for a gadget for my camera, something that's called a step-up ring. It takes the diameter of a lens, and it moves up to the next diameter, so you can put a large filter on a small lens. It's nothing really important, and this is something that costs about 10 pounds, and as I was looking for these, I noticed, you know, this one has like 700 reviews, and they're five stars, and this one has three-star reviews, well, there's a website that I use occasionally called Fake Spot, And if you copy the Amazon URL and you put it into FakeSpot, they will analyze the reviews and tell you how good they are. They do this in a number of ways. They do this based on how long the reviews are. Because a five-star review that contains five words gets the same value as a five-star review that contains 500 words. They all get the same weighting when you're looking at that average. Here are four reviews. These are complete five-star reviews for the product. Quick shipping, good for the price. Exactly as described, delivered on time. It works great. No capitalization, no period at the end. Fantastic customer service and a great product. So each of those five-star reviews counted toward the, I don't know, 36 reviews of the product, giving it 72% five-star reviews. Now, I looked up the particular brand I was looking at on Fake Spot, and it gave an A rating. It said that 90% of the reviews are valid. But sometimes you'll look up a product, and FakeSpot will give you an F rating, saying 40 or 50% of them are good, and then
2: it explains why. Yeah, this is kind of clever. I, I, I really like the idea behind FakeSpot because uh, it, it, it gives you, if you trust their analysis, I mean, it, it gives you a good way to sort of assess how likely it is that a lot of these ratings are are very good and it it gives you kind of the original rating side by side with their adjusted rating based on the quality of of those reviews and and that can be really really useful that that one ring stepping adapter that you were talking about its adjusted rating ended up being pretty much the same as the Amazon rating which which is kind of cool and then you gave another example in the article about uh, an app. And that app had apparently 60% low quality reviews. <laughs> and so the adjusted rating went from four and a half stars down to like about one and a half.
1: Yeah, I, I looked on the App Store and I took the highest rated free game on the day I was writing this article and it was something called Happy Glass. And it has 28,000 reviews, but FakeSpot says, nope, these are mostly fakes. Now, the way this works is I'm sure you can find, if you just Google, you know, buy reviews for my app, you'll find plenty of companies who do this and they're in third world countries and they pay people three cents to post a review and, and they automate a lot of this. They create accounts, they put reviews. Basically, FakeSpot is able to detect this partly by the language, partly by how long the reviews are. On Amazon, they'll actually go through the to the reviewer's account and see how many reviews they've posted They'll also look if a reviewer's posted all their reviews on the same day, or if a lot of the positive reviews came on the same day, because when you buy fake reviews, you generally buy them, they're, they're going to be posted
2: over a period of a week. Yeah. Another interesting thing that you mentioned was that the the first couple of fake reviews that you were talking about there sounded like the kind of thing you would see on eBay feedback. It didn't really sound very much like a product review at all. It was like fast shipping and this and that. That doesn't tell you anything about the product at all. Well, again, if you look at reviews on Amazon, there are people who write
1: long reviews. And I'm into photography, and you will find camera reviews of people who've written a 1,000-word reviews. I've used this camera. I used the previous model. I used the other brand, and they'll write about it, and they'll even have photos. But that review gets the same weight in the average weighting as all the other four-word reviews, and it's kind of ridiculous. But basically, the, the point of this is you just can't trust these reviews anymore. In the early days, Amazon was only selling books, and they thought this would be a good idea so people could share their opinions of things. And as it opened up to other products, they started getting abuse very quickly. It's taken them a long time to try and limit the abuse. One thing that Amazon does do now is that they'll put a little note verified purchase next to the the rating of the review so you have the name of the person and the date and the rating all that means is that the person did buy it from amazon so there is a scam that companies will give you a product for free on amazon using like a coupon code or they'll give it to you at 99 percent off with a coupon code so you buy it from amazon rather than them sending it directly to you so it will look like a verified purchase now, this isn't the case for all types of products. I, I don't want to single out a particular country, but most of these are things made in China. They cover things like electronics. They cover things like accessories. I just bought one of those. I don't like the word wireless charging, induction charging pads the other day. And I bought an Anchor Anker's a well-known German company. They make cables and adapters and all that. But there are a hundred others from different companies. All of them look alike with maybe a different brand on them. And it's really hard to choose. So when you're looking for products like that, be, be careful and use Spot. And there are a couple of other sites that I mentioned. Spot also can check reviews on Yelp and TripAdvisor. But there aren't many tools like this that can check reviews in a lot of different places. I did put in Stonehenge and TripAdvisor, and it got an A rating on Fake Spot, so all the reviews seem to be real. I guess no one would pay to get five-star reviews for Stonehenge, anyway.
2: Yeah, that seems like sort of an odd thing. I guess, I guess maybe if you're a tourism board for a particular place, you know, maybe you might want to stuff some fake reviews in there, but I, that seems a little less likely.
1: Well, Stonehenge <laughs> has been around for a while, but TripAdvisor does have a lot of fake reviews. It's a problem because let's say you've got a restaurant or a hotel let's say you've got some negative reviews. You want to balance them with positive reviews. So you're tempted to either get someone to do it or do it yourself. And and Yelp is the same for businesses. A lot of people choose the businesses that they work with based on reviews now.
2: Right, and a lot of small businesses and app developers may not really realize that when they're buying reviews, what they're doing is they're paying for some shady company that just has a bot you know, that goes and posts reviews and and that it's going to actually make their product look or or service or whatever they're offering look a lot worse. A lot of times even without using something like FakeSpot, you can browse through these reviews and kind of, you know, it, I I'm pretty skeptical when I'm looking through reviews and Spot is cool because I I think using something like that will save a lot of time rather than me just kind of manually browsing through the reviews and going, yeah, that looks fake, that's fake. I generally
1: look at the three-star and the four-star reviews because I, I appreciate the people who are going to talk about a product and talk about its weaknesses as well as its its strong points. Five-star is, you know, over the top. One-star is often the box was broken or it came a week late. People aren't reviewing the product often on Amazon. They're reviewing the service. They're reviewing the fact that they didn't get it on time or, or something like that. If you look at the 3 and 4 star reviews, you'll probably get more more in-depth opinions of products. In any case, ha- have a look at this article, use fake spot. There's a couple other sites that I mentioned. One is called ReviewMeta and another was called The Review Index and they both present things in a slightly different way. But Just arm yourself with these before Black Friday because remember, companies who are selling Black Friday deals, they have every interest to get you to buy those Black Friday deals. They could themselves be promoting the kind of fake
2: reviews that you'll see on their websites. You know, that's a really great tip, Kirk. I, I appreciate you writing this article because I think it's really going to help people out a lot. Okay, we'll be back next week with more. Until next week, Josh, stay secure and keep your hat white. All right, I will. Stay secure, Kirk.
0: Thanks for listening to the Intigo Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.